0: In your pew Bibles, it is on page 178 in the New Testament section. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might have adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God.
1: Let's... Pray together. Father in heaven, would you by your Spirit press the truth of this passage home to our hearts deeply, Father, for our lasting security in your love, and Father, so that we might have the message we need to go and tell on the mountain that Jesus Christ the Savior is born. Father, Meet us in these next few minutes in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to mention before I begin that next week we are pleased to have our brother Brian Davis from Risen Christ Fellowship in Northeast Philly. Uh, He's going to be with us to minister God's Word. Looking forward to that. You're not going to want to miss this. Uh, the preaching of the word, a dear brother and a fellow uh, servant of the Lord. It's going to be good to see him and have him with us. Well, over these last couple of weeks, we've been seeing the great drama of world history and seeing that this great drama is really a true life story of God's redeeming love for us in Jesus Christ. It is the story, it is the true story of how God in the overflow of the happiness and love of His own being has created and chosen and redeemed undeserving sinners like us, transforming us into sons and daughters in His image who are destined to live with Him in His home forever. Forever. That is the message of the Christian faith. As I said a couple of weeks ago, you could break this great drama down into five great acts. Act one is creation. Way back at the beginning of time, the dawn of history, God spoke everything into existence, then made man, male and female, put man in the garden, in the paradise called Eden, and everything was very good. But then within a short time, Act 2 came. It was the fall. It was when Adam and Eve fell into sin, and with that fall into sin... There was a ruining of man's relationship with God, man's relationship with himself, man's relationship with others, and man's relationship with creation. The fall was devastating. But in the middle of Genesis 3, where the fall into sin is recorded, there is a promise. When God turns to the serpent and says, That the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of Satan. And that promise then gave way to promise after promise after promise after promise for thousands of years through the law of Moses, through the tabernacle, through the priests, through the Psalms, through the prophets, all the way through John the Baptist when John, as we've sung earlier, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in that moment, in the coming of Jesus, we have Act 4, Fulfillment. All the promises find their fulfillment in Christ. And in Act 4, there are some incredible declarations and announcements made Luke chapter 2 for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord John chapter 20 some 33 years later after christmas event and the angel announcement Jesus is hanging on a cross having suffered agony and the abandonment of the father on the cross and Jesus cries out it is finished. And then on the third day, another great announcement. The angel at the empty tomb says what? He is not here, for he is risen. And then a few weeks later, on the mountain, he ascends up into heaven and another angel appears and says, That he who has ascended into heaven will descend in like manner. He is coming again. And that coming again is going to culminate in Act 5, the consummation of all things. Where there's another great announcement made by our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Behold, I am making all things new. That is the drama of history. That is the drama of redemption. That is the great true story of the love of God for us. Jesus is the promised one. He is the answer to all of our longings. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He is the path that leads us all all the way home to Eden. And the text that our brother just read in Galatians chapter 4 is a classic New Testament text that is a Christmas text that is so theologically loaded that it could take us weeks to unpack it and we're going to have to try to do it in just a few minutes here. So let me let me Uh, approach this amazing text in Galatians chapter 4 under these several simple headings. The need of His coming, the manner of His coming, the reason for His coming, the motive for His coming, the application of His coming, and the advancement of His coming. We're going to get to all of that, believe it or not, in the next few minutes. But let's begin with the need for his coming. Look at Galatians 4 and verse 3, where we read that we humans were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In leading into the announcement of the birth of Christ here, Paul makes this mysterious statement. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. This describes human beings, describes you and me. Before Christ came into the world, before we come by faith to Christ, we are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That phrase may not mean much to you. It may seem strange. Uh, Once in a while we get communication, don't we? That's Sounds a little strange that is mysterious to us. I got an email from a certain administrative assistant this week who will remain nameless. But this this email from my administrative assistant reads like this. I think that you have both this was addressed to Alex as well. I think that you have both updated to Sierra on your maps. But if you haven't, please do so or download Mojave, which is the most recent operating system. Office 365 will no longer update on Macs running Yosemite as of February 1st. I read this and I realized that Karen was typing in tongues. I, I I could make nothing out of this. It, was, it made no sense to me whatsoever. So I emailed her, accusing her of typing in tongues, and fortunately, she had the gift of interpretation and came in <laughs> and helped me out. But there are these moments, are there, where you, you read statements, you, you, read, you say, what does that mean? I, I read verse three, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And I say, what does that mean? And it's not an easy phrase to, to interpret or to, to understand, but I think it's something like this that before Christ came into the world, the human race lived in a slavery to elementary things. And the word principles is interesting. It can it can refer to principles or ideas, kind of like the the elementary ABCs, talking about religiously, the religious ABCs, the the, the basics. And and in the context, what Paul is getting at is, is you know religion at its most basic elementary level is do this or die. Do this, do that, obey this, obey that, and if you don't obey, then God's going to get you. Do this or die. A kind of slavery to this religious ABC. And you find it everywhere in the world. You find it throughout all of history. This is religion at its simplest form. It's just this, do this or God is going to get you. And then the words that Paul uses seem to imply a little bit more than that. Not just that there are these elementary principles, but that there are actually elementary forces, or beings, or spirits, speaking of demonic forces, that are actually manipulating these ABCs to enslave us. So you look down in verse 8. Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods i think that's referring to demons and now but now that you have come to know god or rather to be known by god how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. What's going on here? It appears like the Galatians were being duped and deceived by Satan. They were being duped and deceived by demonic forces into abandoning Christ And his amazing love and grace to go back to these religious ABCs do this, do that, and do this, and do that, and if you don't, you die. And Paul says, cosmic forces at work that use God's law to bring them and to bring us into bondage bondage to fear, to self, to sin, to suffering. And Paul says down in verses 8 through 10 that we who were made to rule the world in the freedom of a relationship with God as His sons. Notice the phrase, knowing God and being known by God relationship language, we who are made to rule the world in relationship with God, instead we have languished, enslaved in this legal, formal, fearful, condemned existence of inferiority and guilt and shame. But notice that phrase in verse 9, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back? Notice what Paul says there. He says, You've come to know God. This is relationship. You've come to know God. Why are you going back to that that stuff, those ABCs? But here's, it's amazing what he says You have come to know God, or rather, or rather, because this is even better. There's something better than knowing God, it's knowing that you are known by God. Paul says, You've come to know God. Or rather, even better, even better, God knows you. God knows you. And that's the point. Through Christ, these Galatians had come to know God. And even better than that, they had come to know that they were known by God, which is what faith is supposed to be, which is what relationship with God is supposed to be. But it's not where people live their lives. People live their lives in guilt and shame. The law of God is manipulated by Satan to to bring us into gripping shame. If you've you've ever felt shame so deep that it made you think, God could never love me, then you were being enslaved to the old law. If you've ever thought that you are... who are suffering and automatically assume that because you're suffering, God must be punishing you. If you've ever thought about heaven and despair because you knew you could never be good enough to get there. If you've ever thought that your sins against God's law were too great and too deep and too many for God ever to forgive you. If you've ever thought those ways, it's because the enemy of your soul was enslaving you to guilt, twisting your thoughts, keeping you from realizing that God in Christ loves you with a love beyond words. But the fact of the matter is that all of us at some point in our life have lived enslaved. To the elementary principles, manipulated and oppressed by the enemy with guilt and shame, which is why Christ had to come. Notice with me the manner of His coming. Notice how He came. Look at verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman and born under the law. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman and born under the law. There's three phrases there that are really important to notice. God sent forth His Son. This this is God taking the initiative in our behalf. Don't ever think that true religion and faith is you initiating with God. The reality is He's the one initiating to us. It's not as if we are sincerely trying to find God. It's that God is lovingly finding us. God has come for us. God sent forth His Son. And in this context, by His Son, He is talking about His eternal Son. His his, His only begotten Son. He's talking about the eternal God, the Son, who dwelt in the bosom of the Father for all of eternity. The one Paul writes about in Philippians 2, who was in the form of God. And though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider that equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men, he who had dwelt at the father's side now came down to earth and took on humanity. He who was God the Son now becomes the Son of Mary. He who is God is now human. Born, or God sent forth his Son, born of a and this is this is just astonishing. This is Christmas. This is we're we're in the, the, the deep end of the pool here, folks. This is this is this is profound. The, the eternal Son of God, the eternal God, the Son. He. Who had been sung over and sung to by the angels for millennia. He who was the one who sat on Isaiah's throne in Isaiah 6. And the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's the eternal Son of God. And he came into this world in his womb. He became the Son of Mary. He was born of a woman. And it says, born under the law. He who was and is the only rightful lawgiver and judge in the universe became a law-keeper. He who wrote the law, he who established the law for all humanity came into the world and became willing to live by the very same law that He had established. Oh, what humility. What condescension for our sakes. But not only did He subject Himself to the law, He was born under the law's penalty. Not only under the law's authority, but under its penalty, even though He Himself never broke the law. He always obeyed the law. Here was the manner of His coming. He was God sent. He was woman born, and He was law obligated. Now why did He come? What's the reason for His coming? Verse 5, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. To. In order to. This is the reason. This is why He was sent. Born. This is why He was born under the law. To redeem those. That's you and me, folks. To redeem those who were under the law. He came... To redeem us. He came to buy back our freedom. Now how did He do that? He did that by becoming a curse for us. Look, look back at chapter 3 and verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ put Himself... Under the curse. Remember, remember two weeks ago's message. We were in Eden. We, were, we had seen the fall. Adam and Eve fall into sin. What did God say to Adam? He said the ground is going to be cursed. And from the ground, instead of it bearing for you nothing but rich and delicious fruit and vegetables, it is also going to deliver What? Thorns and thistles. Thorns were an expression of the curse of God upon this planet. Now, fast forward thousands of years through the birth of Christ, through the life of Christ, to the death of Christ, and what is placed on His head. A crown of thorns. And in God allowing that to happen to His Son, God was saying this, My Son is now under the curse. My Son is bearing the curse of sin. These thorns that represent sin's curse are now being worn by My dear, beloved Son because He is going to be made a curse for you on the cross. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Sin brings death. Sin brings judgment. Sin brings curse. And when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, to redeem those who were under the curse of that law. That's why He came. What's the motive behind His coming? Look at verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, so that we, might receive adoption as sons. So God sent forth His Son, the only begotten Son, the One who had been at His side forever, the One who was the radiance of His glory, the, the One who was the, the form of God, equal with God. God sent forth His Son to redeem us so that we could become His sons. God gave up the son that He had loved forever so that He could redeem us and make us His own sons. Sisters, if it bothers you that both we who are males and females are called sons here, Um, Keep in mind that both male and female are called the bride of Christ. All right? So it's equal opportunity awkwardness here. But the terms are meant to be collective and inclusive of male and female, of all who believe in Christ. In fact, just back a few verses in chapter 3, We read that, don't we? Verse 26, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all the sons of God. And that sonship, results in two astonishing experiences. The first is intimacy of relationship with God. Notice verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God not only sent forth His Son into the world, He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And this Spirit of Christ that is in us cries, Abba, Father. He cries out it. It enables us. The Spirit enables us. He empowers us. He secures us in such a way that we not only pray, O God in heaven, we pray our Father in heaven. And we not only pray our Father in heaven, we pray "Abba, Father in heaven. Abba is an old Aramaic term of dear intimacy between a child and his father. It's a term Similar to Daddy, it's a term similar to Papa, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Paul says here that we can experience as the sons of God, as the children of God, we can experience this deep intimacy and security in relationship with God. I used to, when my kids were young, I used to have what I, I guess I could call Abba love moments with them. There were times when I would sit down on my lap and I would position their face right in front of mine or mine right in front of theirs. And I would just look into their eyes and, and I, would, I would do the very best I could to look all the way down into their hearts. And as I was doing that, I would say, I Love you. Tuesday is uh, Granddaddy Day. Grandchildren come into our home. Almost every time they come, almost every time I see them at some point, I sit them on my lap and I say, Granddaddy loves you.
0: Granddaddy
1: loves you. Those are Abba moments. The so tender moments. Those are moments of affection. And God says here that he sends forth the spirit of his son into our hearts to give us Abba moments. To give us moments where we just know that we know that we know that we know God loves us. And we know that we know that we know he is our dad. He is our Father. This is one of the great blessings of sonship. Talk about no longer being slaves, huh? Talk about no longer being enslaved to the elementary principles of this world and to demonic coercion and all the rest. We are free of that in Christ. Christ came into the world to bear the curse of our sin under the law so that we might be set free from that curse and not only re- Redeemed, but adopted. Not only set free from hell, but welcomed into the family of God. Not only redeemed from the curse, but now adopted as sons. And it doesn't end there. That would be enough, but there's more. Verse 7, So you are no longer a slave, but a son and if a son then an heir through God our sonship is not only a love thing it is a love thing but it is a status and a destiny thing our sonship positions us to receive a full inheritance from God. God, through Christ, makes us His heirs. We inherit everything He has. Paul doesn't go into the details of this Here in Galatians, although he does say over in Galatians 5 that we inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a little clue as to what this inheritance is. It's the kingdom of God. But you have to look in other parts of Scripture to find out more fully what this inheritance is. What we come to find out as you study elsewhere is that this inheritance is the new heavens, and the new earth. This, this inheritance is the Garden of Eden, only infinitely better because it will be secure forever and will be the forever presence of God. What we have to do here is we have to go back to Genesis 1. Remember what happened in Genesis 1 two messages ago. Genesis 1. God made everything, and then God made man, male and female. And God looked at, or brought man to everything, so to speak, and said, "Adam, Eve, see all that? It's yours. It's yours. I want you to have dominion and fill the earth. This is your planet. This is." Your world. This is your kingdom. And I want you to rule this kingdom. For my honor and glory. Representing me on this planet. But it's yours. But then the fall happened. And what happened? We got banished from the garden. We got kicked out of Eden. Jesus comes along. He says I'm going to redeem you from the curse. Of Adam's sin. I'm going to adopt you into my family as my sons and my daughters. And now as my sons and daughters who are redeemed image bearers of mine. now you get to inherit everything that I made you for. It's all yours. It's all yours. And this is why when we get to the book of Revelation, we see this truth expounded time and again. I just want you to listen as I move toward a close. I want you to listen. Notice I said, as I move toward a close. I I didn't say as I close. As I move toward a close. Carefully chosen words. I want you to listen to three or four texts. Just hear these words. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang. A new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them us a kingdom and priest to our God and they that's talking about us they shall reign on the earth that's Genesis 1 revisited have dominion they will reign on the earth all who have been ransomed by christ are going to be a kingdom of priests to our god and we're going to reign on the earth as we were meant to reign revelation 21 and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Listen to this. The one who conquers. That's talking to any and all of us who love Christ. And live life in him, the one who conquers will have this heritage, this inheritance. This belongs to them. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, thirst, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night, will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Eden restored. The tree of life that the angels banished Adam and Eve from eating from once they had sinned. Remember that. That's why That's why the angel was there with the sword to keep Adam and Eve away from the tree of life lest they eat in their fallen condition and live forever as fallen corrupt sinners. God banished them from the tree of life. But now, now when Jesus comes back, Act 5, when consummation happens, when Jesus' second coming happens, when He comes not to bear our sins on the cross, but when He comes... To rule and reign riding a white horse. When He comes again, we will reign with Him. And we will get to eat from the tree of life. Eden restored. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the triumph of the eternal Son of God in behalf of His people. Christmas is about God in Jesus. doing everything that had to be done to take away the curse of our sin, to bring us into his family so that we might be his heirs and inherit the earth. Now, how do we apply this? It is by faith in Christ. If you're here today, and you are, on the outside of this looking in, you're thinking, wow, that is some destiny. That is a glory awaiting. I want in. I want in. I want to be a part of that. I want, I want to experience in my own being, in my own life forever and ever. That for which I was made. I was made for dignity. I was made for majesty. I was made to be on a throne. I was made to rule earth and heaven. I was made to rule with Christ. I was made for glory. But man, I'm living my life in the gutter, in the shame, in the sin of my heart. I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be who I was made to be. What you need to do is simply confess that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and trust that Jesus died for your sins and rose again to deliver you into this eternal glory. You just need to sincerely humble yourself before God trying to do it on your own and make it on your own. Realize you cannot make it on your own. You need a redeemer. You need a curse bearer. You need somebody to take your hell for you. You need somebody to transform you. You need someone to take you to glory. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can do it. So what you can do, right where you are right now, what you can do in your own heart, You say, Jesus, Jesus, I now believe, I now believe that Christmas is not some sentimental, quiet whatever in a manger somewhere. Christmas is the coming of my deliverer and my redeemer and my Lord and my King. And Jesus, I know you died for me on the cross. And I know you rose from the dead. I believe. And when you sincerely put your faith in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are forgiven of all of your sins. The curse is removed. You become a son or a daughter of God destined for glory. Right now that can happen. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to purchase it. You don't have to merit it. You don't have to put together a string of good works that somehow or other tries to impress God. No, admit that you can't do any of those things and only Jesus is good enough to get you there. And trust in Him. And you may have walked in enslaved to shame and guilt. You can walk out destined for glory just by bowing your heart and head before Jesus today and if you're a Christian already you're destined for glory don't don't live as a slave of elementary principles Don't, don't walk around guilt stricken and shame filled know this Jesus died to take your curse away. Jesus died to clean up the shame. Jesus died to make you whole. Each day of your life, think thoughts like this. I am redeemed by Christ. I am secured by the Spirit. I am loved by the Father. I am no longer cursed. I am a son, an image, and an heir of God. I am destined for glory and allow the power of Christmas and Good Friday and Easter And Ascension Day and the Second Coming of Jesus allow the power of the person and work of Christ to set you free. Oh, that God would do this in each of our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you please, by your Spirit, First of all, bring any who are here today who have never come to faith in Jesus, bring them to a place of faith and surrender. Bring them to a place where they know you and even better, that they know they are known by you. And for everyone for everyone who is trusting in Christ. Father, may this Christmas season be a season in which the wonder of the love of Jesus amazes us. That Jesus was willing to be sent forth, born of a woman, born under the curse of the law, that He might redeem us From that curse so that you might adopt us to be your own. Oh Lord fill our hearts joy to the world the Lord has come the Lord has come joy to the world the Lord has come oh come let us adore him for he alone is worthy and to him be all the glory forever Endeavor. Amen. Amen. Joy to the world. Oh my goodness. Isn't that good news? Genesis 3 to Galatians 4. Thorns of the fall to thorns on a crown. Slaves to sin to bound by grace. our Master Jesus, destined for wrath to inheritors of glory. Amen? That's what Christmas is all about, and I trust that the Spirit of God was helping you to just